you so much for stopping by to listen. This is the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast where we highlight Afrocentric experience with the goal of provoking deeper thinking, shifting mindset, and inspiring change for better living. I'm your host EJ and I am looking forward to sharing stories together that will inspire you. I would love to hear from you. So follow me on social media at Unreal Talk Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. You can listen wherever you get podcasts, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major listening platforms. The podcast is also on YouTube, so make sure you stop by, subscribe, and check it out. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you continue to do what is right and kind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast. With me today, I'm excited to be talking to another Haligonian that I met a little while ago when I was in Halifax, Canada. So her name is Odette Mimi, but I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more and then we'll talk about our topic today, what we're talking about, and let's move over and go meet our guest. Hello, how are you? I'm good, yourself? I am doing great. I'm so excited to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Me too. It's been ages. And when you said, um, when you said you're going to let me introduce myself, I'm like, okay, what name am I going to use? Is it the immigration name? Is it the real one? Anyways, but straight to the point, um, Odette, the hyphen Bassett, um, I go by Mimi as well. That's what I'm, I'm called at home. And I guess on my social media as well, by Mimi. I am happily married with a son. I love those two so jelly. So shout out to you guys if you're watching this. I currently live in Bermuda. I'm from Togo. Um, although my mom is Ghanaian, but I'm Togolese. I was born in Togo. My dad is Togolese. I lived in Canada a little bit, and that's how we met. I yes. did, right? And I do YouTube as well. Um, you can check out a moment with Mimi if you'd like to check out my YouTube. I am also in the compliance uh, sector. Having worked in nonprofit for a while, I finally moved to corporate to the corporate world, which is such a switch. To be honest, I don't even know what how I'm how I got here, but I'm really happy. I love the industry and I love what I'm doing. I'm currently taking anti-money laundry certification as well because I want to switch over to anti-money laundering. So, yeah, but I am enjoying what I currently do. Thank you so much. Wow. So why did you switch? Just curious why you switched your career path. I think I wanted to do something more like mentally challenging and so uh, the fact that I did my LLM. So I went back to school to do my Master of Laws. And I've not done the LPC yet. So I have to do that in order to actually practice law. Okay. So I decided to do compliance, which is really close to law anyways. It's all about regulations and, Absolutely. you know, the corporate world and adhering to the government rules and regulations, which is really, really close to law. So if I decide anyways to go back and do my LPC. But I am looking for a firm that can actually pay for me to further my mm-hmm. profession. So I'm not taking any money out of my pocket. Girl, so. I, I see. I hear the cha-ching. <laughs> I just hear the coins, how you're collecting, counting. That's awesome. There are lots of employers who do that. They help you to get your MBA, get whatever certification. And then that way you give them back that money in, in service, right? So that's the way to go instead of in taking in more debt. So thank you so much. I do want to do a quick shout out to 
Mimi's YouTube. So it's called A Moment with Mimi, as she said, and I will tag it on the video as well as on the podcast for people to go check it out and go support her and go see the amazing things that she's doing. So I know that you also are aspiring to start up a nonprofit. Do you want to share really quickly what that is? Right, absolutely. So currently in the process of developing the website, which is almost ready. If you go to dari.org, so D-A-R-E-E.org, um, you can have a look as to what we've done so far. It's available for the public to view, but we just have a bit of touch to do to it for it to be finally available. But dari.org, we, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's called Diaspora Alliance for Refugee Education and Engagement. So the idea is to support refugees in Ghana, to be precise, with education. So being it's writing remedials and um, paying for application fees mm-hmm. to uh, attending vocational school. So things like that are not free in, in, in Ghana. So that's what the organization is all about. It's all about, you know. That's amazing. Anchor- hiring refugee youth to acquire higher education, which is usually readily available to refugees. And we're focusing especially on girls, because, I mean, if you educate a girl, you're educating the The whole whole world. And the reason I ask that question, because I feel is a great segue to go now into the topic of why we're here today. So I knew you, as you said a, a little bit earlier, from school. And then when you started doing YouTube, I, of course, wanted to support. I got on there and started watching your videos. And even though we had talked about doing this podcast and doing something together, because I know what you're passionate about from back then. But then I saw this video of you sharing your experience of going through the refugee system to come to Canada, yourself and your family, of course. And I was shocked. I never knew that, you know, even though we spent sometime together in Halifax. I never really knew that. I mean, you did my hair for me, you know, we kind of went out a few times. Yeah. So I just never knew that about you, um, Mimi. So I just wanted the opportunity for you to come and inspire people and share this information. A lot of people don't know what it's like, and yet refugees are judged very harshly. So I thought, it is awesome for you to come share this experience. And thank you so much for doing that. And just tell us a little bit more about what was that setup like? What was that environment like? Right. I don't even know where to start from. <laughs> you can start but, from anywhere. But yes, I, I lived in a refugee camp for 15 years. And I was wow, in that. 15 years? In one, five, 15 one good years. It was, of course, when even just the word refugee would give you a picture of, you know, what life is like for people who who are in refugee camps. And we're talking about your basic needs. Literally everything has to be provided for by somebody else. And that's something that I never liked and nobody else would like that. So food, you have to be supplied with food before you can eat, clothing, literally everything education that is like really really high you know for you to thankfully in Canada you can go to high school for free but it has changed now in Ghana but before then you have to have uh, your parent pay for your high school high school education is not free. same in Nigeria which is ridiculous we need to try and work harder our governments anyways but that's a topic for another day so I 
I didn't go to high school until after three years of finishing junior high and come thinking back now I'm like oh my goodness we take those things for granted in Canada and and everywhere and kids don't even want to go to school but for me when I was in the camp education was so important to me um, because I knew that once I acquired that it would open so many doors for me but I could not go to school when I was done junior high because if you're a refugee, it means you don't have you don't have a status and you need a status to work. Right. So your parents can't work. They can't do legal jobs because they don't have status to actually work and then provide for you and pay for your education. So I stayed home for for so long and thankfully until I then got a scholarship to go to high school. And a lot of this youth. And for me, I I was really keen on it. You know, I was self-motivated to do that. But for some of these youth, they were just like, okay, this is the life I'm living there. There are a lot of people that I know who had no aspiration at all. They just wake up. Imagine waking up and just walking around doing nothing, literally. It's like you're on vacation for the rest of your life, pretty much. But right? not really, right? It was rough, you know. There were cases of, of course, child abuse women abuse you name it and especially for men as well the living in such um situation imagine what that does to men who you know their masculinity you know i have to be the provider and yeah, not and the protector uh, yeah exactly so those frustrations too they can redirect that onto their children and their wives right which they didn't do anything i mean it's not their fault that you are where you are, but things like that happened, you know, um, abuses and, and whatnot. Um, and then when I turned 17, around 17, we finally immigrated to Canada, thankfully. I was really happy because I knew that that was when I was going to be able to pursue my dreams and one would be education, literally do whatever and anything at all that I want to be. If I focus my mind on it, I can achieve, which I ended up doing anyway. So for me, moving to Canada was, oh my God, I can't even describe um, how I felt when I when I found out that we were finally going to move to Canada. And like I said, again, for me, it's all about education, <laughs> especially when you find yourself in such situation. I didn't grow up with books around, to be honest, like nothing like that. That's what know? I want to, so paint a picture for us. That's where I want to go to before we talk about your experience as a refugee when you got here. I don't like that label. So I'm just, you know, going to put it out there that this is just a term. So what does a refugee camp look like in Guyana? What is it that you have access to? Like you said, there are no books around. So we can we can have a picture. We can visualize what you were like as a young so, girl. Right. I think they have about maybe last time I found out there were there are about five camps in Ghana now. Okay. Uh, when I was there, there were about two, two, yes, I think two or three, but there are about five now. And it depends where you are. So there's one mm-hmm. close to the capital city. Okay. Was in Western region. Yeah. And so each family would have a room or two, depending on how big the family is. Um, there's no such thing as TV or any of those utilities. Those are things that if you can afford. No cable, no satellite TV, no YouTube. (laughs) I just got to make sure. No YouTube. No YouTube, my sister, saying like that. Um, No, all these fancy furniture that we have in the West. 
and books where are you going to get books um, and where do you sleep what is the sleeping arrangement like i mean you have beds uh it's not as bad as it's not a tent right so where i i lived the camp that i lived in it wasn't like a tent the typical ones that we see that we see in the media okay uh matter of fact people were quite civilized <laughs> there mm-hmm. i think it is because there were so many different nationalities as well so there were people from um Liberia, the people from Sierra Leone, there were people from Togo, there were people from Sudan, there were people from, well, I would say South Sudan now, there were people from Eritrea, literally everywhere that war was taking place in, in Af- on the continent at that time. And you would go to school, primary school is in the camp. And after primary school, then you have to go to the next town to go to junior high. And you have to wake up early in the morning walk of course to the school my dad used to tell me about when he went to school back home absolutely to walk like several kilometers to go to school absolutely so I was living that and I am so glad that I could sit my son down when he meets me and say yeah dude like I had a hard boy you better work hard because I'll have this around my house but um you walk miles to school and back um there were a lot of on our company minors as well. So kids without parents, mm-hmm. they didn't walk in that distance by themselves. By themselves, or just make sure you walk in groups. Cause like we had cases of um, girls being kidnapped. You shouldn't, it's not encouraged to walk to school alone. So usually I would walk in groups anyways. And then they do give supplies. I think, is it every month or every three months? Oh my God, I can't remember now, every three months. Wow. In terms of recreation, of course, in, in cases like that, people love to play football. So there are like soccer teams, you know, you have to make the best of your environment. So there are things that people would gather around and do just to, you know, entertain one another. But yeah, I would not wish that on, on anyone at all. And matter of fact, again, if you, the stigma of just being a refugee when you're in that camp and when you're outside of the camp, People know, they know who you are, especially when you're in school, even when I got scholarship and I went to high school outside of the camp, that stigma was still attached to my name and to my other friends that were on the scholarship with me, you know, everyone in the school know, oh, these are the refugees and they are in So was the scholarship given to refugees only then or mostly refugees? That's the way people knew? They would... Of course, without scholarship, you can't go to school. So there are organizations like, you know, how um, World Vision or whatever, World Vision wasn't there. But for instance, organizations in the West would come to camps and and, and um, try to support education or food supply or anything at all. So this um, church actually called Webster, Webster Church came there and provide scholarship to students who they thought were smart and had potential. So I was fortunate to be one of them and I got the scholarship. And for example, even in high school, when you're in a dining hall and your sponsors came to see you or if they have any announcements, instead of the teacher to say, okay, I'm going to look for these people individually, he will not do that. He'll wait until when everyone is at an assembly and then he'll generally announce, you're the refugees, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, do you have to tokenize us? But it was one of those things that I had to, I had to um, deal with. Thankfully, I didn't finish high school back home. I then 
my family got resettled to Canada. And then we moved to Canada and I was able to finish high school. And then I went to uni and did my, my university degree and then I did my master's. But I do want to ask, because of what you just said about the principal, just, you know, saying this person is needed up front, whatever. Why do you feel that people attach negativity to the word refugee? Why is it that refugee people are seen as less than? the rest of the non-refugees, in your opinion? And what is it that we can do to correct that stigma that is attached to the word refugee? Well, I think it's that sense of belonging and identity anyway, isn't it? So we all want to feel belonged. We all want to feel like we have our identity. We know who we are. And if you are a refugee, it means you don't have that. You don't have a status. Yeah, it, you, you don't know, have a family, you don't belong here kind of a thing. You don't care, you don't have a status. So when someone thinks, oh, you are not part of us, why are you here? Or when they don't know you that well, they just push you away. And also sometimes, especially in Canada and other countries, people think that when refugees come, they are bad into the society. And therefore the government should not even waste money. Why are you wasting money on these people? But they come and they are very resourceful. Matter of fact, you actually have to even pay back the government for the expenses that you use. So it's not like they're giving you, the government is is just not taking your tax money or whatnot to bring somebody to the country. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because people think that refugees come in here for free and they don't. Yes, the government does pay for certain things upfront, but everything will need to be paid back. Exactly. So you have to pay back. It's not, it's not given for free. And they contribute. We contribute. I'm not a refugee uh, anymore, but refugees contribute to the economy. They don't just come and, and, and rely on the government or whatnot. They pay the money back. And before you pay, how are you going to pay back if you're not working or doing anything? So they are productive members of society and that's how they're able to pay back their funds. Um, I think it also it's also about it's racism as well, right? So if you're black, this person is person is not like me, so they don't belong here. Or this person is wearing a hijab, I don't wear hijab, they don't belong. Like you can physically identify someone who does not belong to the land that belongs to you because majority of Canadians are not Muslims or or the racial, you know, racial and all that. So it's that sense of belonging and identity and, and able to easily identify who belong and who doesn't belong, which is very stupid anyways, because the land is not even yours. The native no. on the land, they are not making that much noise. So like, can you move to the side and have a seat? <laughs> Absolutely. Move over and have a seat. Thank you so much. Like there's nobody has claims to this land except indigenous people. So uh, I wanted to talk about the impacts of living in a refugee camp on a child. And you've already touched on that. You talked about possibility of abuse, rape, being kidnapped, the lack of education. You know, you said that over and over and that's huge. I think that is for me, the biggest impact is that the lack of education. I want to also touch on people supposedly I've heard who come under the guise of refugees, but are really not refugees. So they want to come to wherever, Canada, the UK, the US, but they're not refugees. So any advice that you want to give to these people or anybody else seeking to come through the refugee stream? Right. I mean, it's quite unfortunate that our system everywhere told that there are humans, there's going to be corruption. 
and even you know those hosting countries that um, that have refugees in them sometimes they take advantage as well some people do come and then they claim asylum claiming that they something have happened to them they had that experience unfortunately it's bound to happen and um, life is not good back home so people are finding ways you know sometimes I don't know if I can blame them. If someone is that desperate enough to lie, then you should know whatever situation that they are in must be really, really horrible. But at the same time, you you can't take advantage of the system because when you do that, then you're really blocking the way of people who, who actually need to have a status because you already have a status. You're just lying that you don't, right? So... You, you asked about some of the impact of, you know, youth and children living in camps and wars and whatnot. Like, just imagine a full-grown adult going to war and having PTSD after, you know, serving in the army or whatnot. And then comparing that to a child or a youth. You know, if a full-grown person can have PTSD after being in the military or whatnot imagine a child living that life in that actual, yes how long right so the impact oh my god i can't even state and um i am fortunate and a lot of people are fortunate enough that it's i didn't experience war to be honest i was very young i didn't experience anything at all i lived more of like the refugee life and not living in like actual yeah. wars and but I know people, I have friends who they've gone through that and you can tell that that really changed their life and they were impacted by it. And whew, yeah. yeah, as much as you're resilient, there have to be a support system there for you to bounce yes. that. Yes, let's talk about that support system next and let's talk about what we can do to support right. people coming into our country or wherever else as a refugee. So it might not necessarily be coming to Canada, just anywhere in the world. When we say that refugees are, supports for refugees are needed, what are some of those supports like? And that might not necessarily just be supporting them in the hosting country. It could also be supporting them where they're living at the moment. So just share with us what that looks like for supports. If you can volunteer, if you can donate, okay, right? trusted organization that you can donate money to that provides support to refugees. I was stressed on that. And also even in Canada, when I moved to Canada, I didn't even know much about the system. So compare an international student who moved to Canada for school. They came for school, so they know from A to Z what to do. They've already applied. They know what programs they want to get into. Their parents are there to support them financially and in other forms as well. But you're moving to Canada as a refugee. Then you have to think about education. And if you have parents who are not educated themselves, there's no help there for you to even show you which way to go. Like some of us randomly picked classes. We just... I picked random classes and here I am today in a different sector. I am very still passionate about giving back um, to the refugee community. And that's why I've joined forces with other youth to give back. But when I moved to Canada, the first person, or oh, uh, Misa Isense, I, I think it's called Isense now, uh, is like the largest immigrant service and organization provided support. And I really liked how people supporting my family and I, and I decided, you know what, I would love to work for this organization. What course do I need to, to take to be able to work like uh, um, Vanessa or, or whoever provided support to us? And I ended up doing IDS, 
And then I worked in that sector for a while. And then I wanted something more mentally challenging. But I'm happy that I chose that path and it, it led me to be where I am today. But there are lots of youth who, they don't even know what's, okay, medicine or pharmacy, what course do I need to take to get me there? They're just taking random classes because there are no volunteers. So again, if you have organizations in your community that tailored to refugees, go and volunteer with Join the them. youth yeah. club thing and help a youth or two and you know help them understand the system. These are the courses that you need or like, what are you passionate about? These are the options that are available. I didn't know much of that. Like I was just, I was just walking through it, you know, yeah. so. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. I didn't, um, I, when I came back to Canada, cause I was born here, then we moved back. When I came back, that's something that I found that was really helpful. So somebody suggested going to the Edmonton Mennonite Center for those in Edmonton, you probably know um, that body. And so that organization supports new immigrants or any newcomer to Canada. And I found that after they, I received that support from them, I really wanted to give back. And the best way I could give back was to also go back to that organization to volunteer or to similar organizations to volunteer. So I volunteered, for example, doing tax taxation, income tax for, for people mm-hmm. for free for a long time, right? So that's, that's a huge one. It's just supporting that community. And also when you do that, I feel like we also, at the same time, we give them that sense of belonging break that chain of stigma. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we are coming very close to the end of our conversation. I do want to ask, is there any question at all that you want to share about your experience here um, when you were living here or just overall, any question at all that you wanted me to ask that I didn't ask that you would like to share? Well, I just think that is the word itself, the word refugees. And I remember whilst working at ISANS, I used to be so irritated by you know people the community and I do understand that sometimes when the media wants to gain the attention they tend to use that word because it would prompt people to read or to want to take action or whatever it is but for someone who was once a refugee before that is not a positive word and especially when you are no longer a refugee you should not be called that you could you could be called new Nova Scotian newcomers or anything at all you know because once when you come to Canada as a government assisted refugee they call it you automatically come with a permanent resident unlike where you were before you don't even have any status rather you have a status you later on then become a, a, a citizen but even after that I've, I've met people who lived in Canada for so many years they, they are citizens and everything and they're still refugees I'm like what? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's unacceptable. Absolutely. So for me, that like for me, try as much as you can not to use that word, especially when the person is already in Canada and they've they've integrated into the community. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would just say call them what where they are from. Like if you know, if that person is from Nigeria, just say Nigerian, right? Like, do we have to use the word immigrant, refugee? Like if that person wants to be you know, associated with your culture, wherever you're, or just talk to the person and see what the hell they want to be addressed, I guess, or just refer to them by your name. We have names, <laughs> just refer to them by their names is what I would say. So I want to end by asking you where you see yourself in the next five years. Why do I see myself in the it's, next it's, five? It's not a job interview. I know, I know that we probably, get, 
we get these questions in job interviews like when do you see yourself in the next five to ten years so that way you get the job don't say anything that doesn't exactly I would love to do my OPC, which would then allow me to practice law. I'm really interested in IP and immigration law. And if not, then I'm also very happy to own a consulting firm and providing compliance, corporate compliance and AML uh, compliance services to the businesses. And five years from now, I would still want to be living my best life. And <laughs> is Canada anywhere in this five years from now by chance? No, my sister, like, girl, it's home. Canada is home. And um, I go home very often. I, so I'm definitely going to be in, it's just COVID. Otherwise, I would have probably been in yeah. Canada by now. No, I, I, I feel you. If I, if I was in Bermuda as well, I wouldn't be. <laughs> Who needs Canadian I, winter? Who? I need friends here, so please move. Girl, I would think about it. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. So for fun, if you could go back to your younger self, so back to little Nini, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would say to myself that you are going to do exploits. You're going to excel. Life is going to be amazing. Life is going to be perfect. That dream that you have in your heart, you're definitely, definitely going to see it come true. You're going to get that law degree that you really, really want to right now. You're going to live in paradise eventually with your beautiful family. Oh, God is good. I am so grateful. I am grateful to God. I'm grateful to the Canadian government. I'm grateful to friends that I've met along life's way who have helped me to be where I am today. So... Yeah, God is good. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing talking to you, Mimi. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing on here. Thank you very, very much. I feel so honored when you asked me. I was like, oh my God, you're doing an amazing job. Like you're really touching lives. Because sometimes I just sit and I I usually watch your, um, your videos on YouTube. And I'm like, oh my God, you're doing so great. It was so refreshing, refreshing just seeing two people that I know are having these deep conversations that would help somebody. And YouTube is the world. You just don't know yes. who my your videos. And I am so glad you're doing podcasts. <laughs> I'm so glad finally on Clubhouse. Yes, finally on Clubhouse. Let's go find ourselves there. Let's go do amazing things and let's go support our Black women, girls and men and boys because they really need that. And like you said, one thing I like about YouTube is that even... Um, for our people back home who may not really be in the best place economically, most people have access to data. You know, that's that's what I hear back home. Most people mm. have access to internet, uh, even if it's just for a few moments, a few times a day. And I'm hoping that with this kind of positive information out there, you going out there, setting up your non-for-profit platform that will support newcomers eventually. And then persons like ourselves going out there, campaigning, talking, raising awareness, someone somewhere get a hold of these videos and it would inspire them to stay positive and go through whatever challenge that you're facing at that because even the video i did about my refugee story there was this boy that commented on that who was still in the camp literally still leaving the i live and um i'm sorry just take as long as you need
yeah, he he commented and he was like, oh, he was really inspired by my video and he's still living in it. And just seeing my video gave him some hope that that eventually he is also going to have his happy ending or something like that. So for me, it's I'm glad I did that video because it took me a while to get there, you know, and that's why when a lot of people saw the video, they were like, oh my God, okay, I didn't know you went through that. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I'm glad I did. So, and I guess the older you get, the less you care about what people think of you. So you are more confident in who you are and your past and everything. And you just lay it out there and the right people will come in your life and love you regardless, right? And then others will come like, oh, I don't like this person. I don't want to associate with this person because she's this, she's that. But you just need the right people and the right people love you regardless he commented that and i was really touched and that's the whole point of us posting online because you just don't know who you might be inspiring and who you might be strengthening through you know these platforms that are available and thankfully globally it's not like you're restricted because you're in in, in africa or something so yeah thank yeah. you so much so much it's been amazing thank you for sharing that thank you so much just please take care i know this is um very difficult thing to, to talk about in no shape way or form are we trying to re-traumatize anyone we just hope that by sharing we can strengthen so do take care thank you thank you today's conversation was also recorded by video please check it out on youtube and also please consider subscribing at unfiltered real talk podcast Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to the very end of this conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it and I truly hope that inspired you. If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider rating wherever you listen and connect with me on social media with what you enjoyed or maybe something that you did not enjoy that you would like to see in another conversation. So connect with me with a comment and your feedback. Let's keep continuing to do and inspiring to do what is right and kind. I'll see you in the next episode.